We've been walking through the books of First and Second Timothy, and uh, we finished First Timothy, and now we're in Second Timothy chapter two, which we will finish today. And um, the first letter that Paul writes to this Timothy, who's this young pastor pastoring the church at Ephesus, um, which is um, a hub city. It is a port city. It is a city um, filled with culture and trade and and all of these things. Um, this is Timothy finds himself in kind of a um, a really eclectic culture that is that is filled with all kinds of beliefs and thoughts. And so um, Paul writes these letters to this young pastor to encourage him. And, and this second letter, as we've said every week, if you've been with us, is that is that Paul is is headed to his death, and so the the nuance behind this letter is urgency. Like, Timothy, I want you to know these things. I want the church to know these things. And so, um, as we jump in this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, I want to ask this question. How many of you have to be reminded about things? Okay, good, yeah. How many of you set lots of reminders on your phone? Because you're like, I'm going to forget everything. That's okay, that's, that's me too. How many of you have to remind your kids over and over to do something yeah that's right all the hands parents went up is that right I, just this week i'm like all right hey you got to do your laundry hey you got to do your laundry like i started the reminder on monday and i think we finished one load on saturday i was like man this is insane like one reminder every day and we still didn't get there right well here's the deal all that tells us is this is that we are forgetful people aren't we? And it's no different in our faith. We have to constantly be reminded of some of the most basic and simple commands of God. And so Paul's going to do that for the church and for Timothy here this morning. He's going to remind them of some pretty simple things that, that we all forget. And so let me start with this this morning. If you're here and you think, this is not for me this morning, it's for you, okay? D don't, don't, don't get in this kind of preoccupied, oh, I don't do any of that, I'm good, I'm golden. No, this is for you this morning, and it's for me. Because we are called to be reminded of who he is. And so our, our aim is simple this morning. Remember, you serve Jesus. Remember, you serve Jesus. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says this. Remind them of these things. Huh. Remind them, right? Right off the bat. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. So let's just stop there before we jump into the next section. Is that he, Paul says, remind them of these things and charge them before God. So Timothy, you're going to remind them and then you're going to challenge them. You're going you're to say, hey, this is how you're to walk in obedience. And so, so Paul is going to do something a little different and, and you just got to track with it this morning. Listen, he's going to do a couple of things. He's going to do this. He's going to say, hey, don't get sidetracked by arguments. And then he's going to say, keep your focus on Jesus. Don't get sidetracked by arguments. Focus on Jesus. Sidetracked by arguments. Focus on Jesus. And he's going to do this kind of in a, in a rhythm, if you will. 
okay? So it's not all the one point and then the second point. It's, it's do this, this, do this, do this, right? So the two points we have this morning are kind of flow through the text. Don't get sidetracked by arguments and keep your focus on Jesus. And those are simple things, right? Don't get sidetracked by arguments and keep your focus on Jesus. Simple things, yet we have to be reminded of them, don't we? Because chances are some of you in this room argued this week about something really dumb, right? And chances are you got sidetracked and took your focus off of Jesus. And so let's be reminded this morning. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Don't quarrel about words, which does no good. You realize that there, there are a lot of hurt people that are at home and not with the body of believers this morning because someone got in an argument and words hurt them? You realize that? That, that within the body of believers, because somebody got in an argument and said some words that, that, that were just out of emotion and not guided by the Spirit, they're at home this morning and they've written the church off. Paul says, hey, don't get caught up in this nonsense because it sidetracks you from being focused on Jesus. Jesus didn't handle people that way. He loved them. He came before them. And he chose his words wisely. How many of you have ever said something and like the moment it came out of your mouth, you were like, no, come backwards, right? We've all done that. How many of you have said hurtful things to your spouse? How many of you celebrated it afterwards? Oh, come on, yeah. Some of you were honest this morning. Like, yeah, I got them. <laughs> they were angry and I got them, yeah, right? Like, that's the reality for most of us. But it's not, it's not of Jesus. How many of you said hurtful things to your kids I wish you could take back out of emotion? Look, Paul's not telling us something we don't know. It's simple. He says, hey, hey, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, and it only ruins the hearers, right? Have you ever had somebody say something ugly and rude to you? And what does it do to your heart? It hurts it, right? What do words do? They ruin the hearer. And so this Paul's saying, hey, don't get sidetracked by the arguments. But then he's going to go on and he's going to say this, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Hey, so, so again, don't get sidetracked by the arguments. Keep focused on Jesus. He says, hey, present yourself as approved by God. 
that you live your life in such a way that it is not for the approval of men, but it is the approval of God. God, am I living my life according to what your word says and what your word commands? Am I, am I in this word so much that it just spills over into all parts of my life? Present yourself as approved by God. Keep your focus on Jesus because he, he says this, who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. The Greek connotation here is to cut a straight line. To cut a straight line. Okay? We, I've been teaching Briggs, and my father-in-law have been teaching Briggs how to mow the lawn. It's a glorious day as a dad. Like, when they get to that point, like, all right, yes, we've made it. But we've been teaching him how to mow a straight line, and so we first day we started, and he mowed, and I, we told him what to do, and I walk out, and I'm like, that's kind of straight. I mean, you know, we'll work with it. And, and so we've been working on this, right? And, and, and the best, the, how my dad taught me was the best way to cut a straight line is to pick something to focus on ahead of you. And, and, and to, to stay focused on that, and you will always get the straight line. And so when we talk about handling the word of truth, when we keep Jesus at the focus, and we keep our eyes fixed on him, what happens is we will handle the word of truth rightly. We will handle God's word rightly when we keep him at the center. We talk about this all the time. All of the Old Testament is pointing us to who? I, I, I thought we had talked about it. All of the Old Testament is pointing us to who? Good. You got this. I mean, all of you know the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus this time, okay? Right? All of the New Testament is about and lifting up the name of? When we keep our focus on him, we will cut the straight line. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, don't get sidetracked by the arguments. Keep your focus on Jesus. And then he says in verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. He says, avoid irreverent babble. How many of you have ever been around people that you're like, their language is just not edifying to anyone around them or definitely not to God, right? How many of you have worked with somebody like that? I worked for TextDot when I was in high school and I learned a lot of words that I was like, that word exists, right? I mean, that, that's the reality though. Like, and I know that m many of you work in those environments and you've been there, right? But what Paul says to us as believers, as Christ followers, is he says this, but he said, avoid irreverent babble. Don't get caught up in it. Don't, don't, don't find yourself because you're surrounded by it doing it. You are a Christ follower. Keep your focus on Jesus. 
Because here's the deal. We, we oftentimes start sounding like those that we're around the most. How many of you say things that your spouse does? We've talked about this before, right? How many of you, you, you say this thing, things that's like your parents said, and you're like, oh, man, I've reached that age. I am now my parents. Right? Well, the same thing happens at, at work, and, and when we surround, and when we're at, in those places, and Paul says, hey, don't, he says, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Is that you, as a Christ follower, choosing to partake in that doesn't point them to Jesus. It says, why do I need Jesus? You're no different than me. Lead them to more and more ungodliness. And he says this, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Ooh, gangrene. Anybody know anything about gangrene? Yeah, <laughs> you do, right? It sets in. We, we got to go to the Battle of Shiloh um, on our vacation this year, and, and my great-great-great-uncle died at the Battle of Shiloh from a wound to his leg. And guess what he died of? Gangrene. It got in his bone, and boom, he was done. So he couldn't treat it then. And so Paul is saying, hey, it, it, it spreads. It spreads rapidly. The talk, the arguing, the, the, the bickering, all of those things spread like gangrene. You don't think it's true. Like, we could start a rumor this morning in church, and by the time we walk out, all of you would know, and there would be 17 different stories of it. Right? Like, and, and none of it would be the truth. Because that's just who we are as people. It spreads like gangrene. He says this, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So, so here's what was going on. They were saying, hey, the resurrection's happened. This is probably, we're not sure, but probably the early starts of Gnosticism. Um, Gnostics believe that um, that you that the the body and the spirit were separate and and if you gave in to any pleasure that the body had that you were um, evil and sinful and therefore you should you should completely um, deny the body any type of pleasure it, to the point of some would starve themselves to death okay because that that's where they went so they were believing that the resurrection already happened that we already had, that we were not going to get resurrected and so so Paul's correcting this, and hey, they're, they're swerved from the truth, okay? And it's interesting that how Paul says this, because he says that, that when we keep our focus on Jesus and we cut a straight line with the word of truth, that we cut the straight line, and then he uses this language to describe Hymenaeus and Philetus, that, that they swerved from the truth, that they literally missed the mark. The thing that they were aiming at, they missed the mark is what this Greek communicates here. They missed the mark. And they are upsetting, they are upsetting the faith of some. He says, hey, the irreverent babble, the, the nonsense, hey, avoid it because, and then he gives an example as he's done several times in 2 Timothy. This is what it looks like. Like you've got people right in your midst that are doing exactly what I'm telling you to avoid. 
So we're not to get sidetracked by the arguing. But then verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He says, but God's firm foundation stands. And this is that the Lord knows who are his. This is the language of, um, if you've ever seen a building that has a cornerstone and on that cornerstone there's a, there's a stamp or there's written something on that cornerstone that declares the building, declares when the building um, was erected, declares maybe who was there and, and what it was for and all of those things. Have you ever seen one of those? Okay, yeah, it's a cornerstone. And, and this is what Paul's kind of getting at is he's saying, hey, there's the, the, the God's firm foundation stands bearing his seal, that we are his. So what Paul's saying is that when we come to know Christ, there's a stamp, there's a seal. He said it in Ephesians that we are sealed with the Spirit, that He's put a stamp on us and He's declared us His. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm pumped about that. That I am His. There's this beautiful moment, and if you watch The Chosen. Anybody watch The Chosen? Anybody? Okay, some of you. If you don't know what The Chosen is, it's a series done on, on the life of Jesus and the disciples. And, and don't get your theology from it. Don't go, hey, this is exactly how everything happened because it's not. They took some creative liberties, but it's done well, okay? We have good acting, things like that. It's not cheesy and corny like most Jesus movies are, okay? There's this moment in episode one of season one where Mary Magdalene, you're introduced to Mary Magdalene and, some, and, and, and Peter and Andrew, and you're introduced to several of these, these um, characters long before you introduced to Jesus in episode one. And so Mary Magdalene's going through these things, and they've got Mary Magdalene as a, as a, before knowing Jesus, they've got her as a demon-possessed woman, and Nicodemus tries to cast out that demon, and he can't, and he realizes really quick that only God can do that. There's this moment in the, in the movie where, where Nicodemus says only God could do that. Because the demon even tells Nicodemus, you have no authority here. And there's just, you, you kind of see the struggle going on in Mary Magdalene's life. And then there's just a moment where Mary Magdalene's in a bar and she's about to basically drink all of her problems away. And, and, and she goes to reach for the glass and this hand touches her. And she jerks her hand away. She doesn't know who this man is. And she gets up and she runs out. And, and throughout the whole series, there's these flashbacks of when she's a little girl where her dad would tell her, when you were afraid, we quote these words from the prophet Isaiah. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. In the end of season one, episode one, Mary Magdalene is running away and Jesus is following her. And he calls out to her, Mary of Magdala. And she turns. And she says, who are you? And Jesus walks up to her and he grabs her by the head. He says, you are mine. And all that she had quoted when she was a child, that he calls you by name and you are mine, came true in the face of Jesus in that moment for her. 
And can I tell you this morning that when he says that you are his, you are sealed. You are his. Keep your focus on Jesus because he has laid claim to you. Paul's going to go on. He's going to say this in verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so, so he gives this kind of kitchen mentality of, of all of these, these things that are used, and there's some that are for honorable, some for dishonorable, and, and, and Paul says, hey, cleanse yourself for honorable use. Make sure that your heart is always right before the Lord. And so if you're a believer here this morning, it means it's a, it's a constant confession coming before the Lord and saying, God, you have declared me yours and I am yours, but I need your help. I need you to forgive me where I fail you. And if you're not a believer here this morning, what this means is, is that, that you come to a point in your life where you know that you're a sinner and that you recognize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And you ask him for forgiveness and you put your faith and trust in him. That's how you move from dishonorable to honorable. This is only through the blood of Jesus. You can't know enough. You can't do enough. It's only through faith in Christ that makes you whole. Again, we keep our focus on who? Jesus. He says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So, so hey, flee the youthful passions. How many of you remember being young and doing dumb things? Sean and I were having this conversation this week. Um, I've never been a daredevil. I've never been the guy who's like, I was the rule follower and never been the one that wanted to go fast or be dumb, but Sean was. Um, and so <laughs> we were having this conversation this week about like, Sean was like, yeah, I remember when you, just being young and like, just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. Yeah, this would be fun. And like, now that we're getting older, like there's still a little part of Sean that's like, yeah, let's do this. But then he's reminded by Gina, hey, you shouldn't do that, right? <clears throat> Um, and I was like, yeah, I just don't have that desire anymore. I'm like, I look at him and go, yeah, no, I'm going to hurt something, and it's going to be bad, and I don't want to do that, right? But, but we all have those kind of youthful passions. I did do dumb stuff. I mean, I caught a pastor on fire when I was little. Like, there's all kinds of things I've done, right? Um, but, but he says, flee youthful passions, but instead do this. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. These are all things that are to be reflective of someone who pursues Christ. This is who we're called to be, to pursue righteousness, what is right in the eyes of God, to pursue faith that, that all, of, all of my life is, is tied up in him, to, to pursue love and to pursue peace, right? Peace is the exact opposite of all the arguing, isn't it? Peace is the exact opposite of all the quarreling, isn't it? 
She says, hey, how do we do all of these things? Stay focused on Jesus. And then he finishes up and he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know what they, that they breed quarrels. And Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his work. And so he ends this, this section with, with the believer going, hey, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but he's to handle people with love and patience and kindness. Look, the world is quarrelsome enough, church. It doesn't take long for you to be outside of the body of believers to realize that everyone wants to argue about something. Whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's what color the sky is or whether there's aliens. Right? Like, we're going to argue about something. It doesn't take long. But as believers, we should be setting an example for the world. Two things. In here, we're not going to get quarrelsome. In here, we can disagree and in love. Okay? It's okay to disagree. I know that's hard for the church. But it's okay to disagree. We can do that in love and not fight about it. We're not going to be quarrelsome in here. Because we're called to be patient and kind and loving. And so then when we walk out of these doors, as the church sent on mission, then out there, we're not going to be quarrelsome. But we're going to handle each people in love and in kindness and with patience. That's how we as believers are called to be. Because Paul says this, by doing so, you may preach the word of truth to them. But you may be the only example of Jesus they ever see. Because here's the deal. We are called to keep our focus on Jesus. And when we do so, when we do so, man, we point people to Jesus. When our focus is on him, when all of my life is wrapped up in him, well, you and I were talking this week, and and if you if you look at the life of an Olympian, okay, they they choose to be an Olympian. They're, they've got the ability. They've got the the everything they do right. The, the the Olympics may be four years away, but what they do today is for that day. the The decisions they make this day is for that day. So how they eat, how they sleep, with the amount of water they drink, how they train, everything they do today is for that day. So believer, Christian, disciple of Jesus, listen to me. Everything you do today is for the day when you see Jesus face to face. The decisions you make 
today are for that day. The decisions you make tomorrow are for that day. Stay focused on Jesus. Because remember, your service is for him. I'll finish with this. There's a, there's a poem by Ella Wilcox. I think it sums up today perfectly. It says this, One ship sails east and another west. By the self-same winds that blow, tis the set of the sails and not the gales that tells the way we go. Like the winds of the sea are the waves of time. As we journey along through life, tis the set of the soul that determines the goal and not the calm or the strife. Set your soul on Jesus. And that will determine all of life's course for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. And I pray that and we would take it and that, um, Father, we would respond to your word this morning. Father, for, for those of us in the room that have never, um, never thought about where our focus is. Father, would we, would we do that? For those that, that, that have, Father, and have gotten sidetracked by this or that, Father, would they refocus their hearts and their minds on Jesus? Father, for those that are in the room that, that have never put their faith and trust in Jesus, may this be the moment that they step out and do that. And that they admit to you that they're a sinner. They believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And they would confess you as the Lord of their life. Father, this has all been your time. Father, I pray that we haven't gotten in the way. Father, that you would work and that you would move in our hearts as we respond to you this morning. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.